Since our last show, offensive lineman Aaron Parks entered the transfer portal. We found out fellow O-lineman Nate Anderson and Savion Bird are transferring to SMU. And we've learned that Caden Green is headed to Missouri after his abrupt exit from Oklahoma. We previously learned both Andrew Rame and Tyler Guyton have opted out of the Alamo Bowl after declaring for the NFL draft. So it's no secret that offensive line depth looks to be a bit of an issue heading into next week's contest against Arizona. And to be honest, I'm not all that worried about it, unless, of course, we see some injuries in the bowl game. Walter Rouse and McKay Mattire get to be the wily old veterans for one last game, so left tackle's good, which is even more important, by the way, with right-handed Jackson Arnold getting the start. And also, with Mattire there, right guard is all set. With Raym out, you think Troy Everett would get the start at center. However, I did see Sooner Scoop's Bob Prisbillo note that true freshman Joshua Bates was getting all the center reps during the media portion of a practice earlier this month. Right tackle seems to make sense for Jacob Sexton, considering he started the last three games at that spot, which then leaves Caden Green's opening at left guard. Is that going to be Troy Everett? He's made three starts at that spot so far this season. So if Everett's at guard, then maybe that would mean that we're going to get an early look at Oklahoma's new center, Joshua Bates. Who knows? Or at that guard spot, what about Caleb Schaefer? Jake Taylor? I know he's projected as a tackle, but it'd be nice to see him get some snaps for the first time since late October. Are we going to see big true freshman Heath Ozida get some run against Arizona? I remember back to August hearing Ozida being talked up quite a bit during fall camp by Brent Venables. Yeah, I'd like Caden Green to still be on Oklahoma's roster. He looks to be a guy with a ton of promise. But I guess contrary to popular belief these days, I still think Bill Biedenboe is a damn good offensive line coach. And I'm intrigued to see if some of these young guys will develop. Jacob Sexton has already improved nicely. As we get closer and closer to game day, I'm getting more and more interested in the dynamics surrounding this Alamo Bowl, which is a pleasant surprise, especially as I think back to what I was feeling about this prospective matchup about a month ago. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Okay, and we're back. Less than a week before Oklahoma takes on Arizona in the Alamo Bowl. Once again, I am Lee Benson, joined as always by Grant Benson. Now, Grant just got into Oklahoma ahead of Christmas next week. It's a Friday evening as we record, and UCF and Georgia Tech kicked off about 20 minutes ago or so, and the Golden Knights are already dominating the Yellow Jackets. Uh, That's the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. UCF trying to improve the Big 12 to 2-0 in bowl games after Texas Tech had absolutely no problem with Cal last Saturday in the Independence Bowl. Well, with that, I'll bring in Grant. Grant, uh, do you have the – well, actually, we've been talking. I, I know. I was going to ask you if you have the UCF-Georgia Tech game on, and, and I know you do. Uh, and by the way, you might be thinking, oh, Grant's in Oklahoma. Why, why am I asking that question? Well, it just made sense. We're actually in two different spots like normal right now. It just made more sense to do it that way for this podcast. So just to kind of – clarify that but uh grant looks like ucf might be in for a uh, a beatdown like uh, well a, a positive beatdown on their end because uh, they're up 14 nothing already yeah i'm not trying to to drive an extra 30 minutes after driving 11 hours already so there's enough of that but 
Also, before we get into you know what's happening here on the field, on the on the TV, as it were, uh, R.I.P. in peace to the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl, which was uh, I mean that that was the best named bowl of any of them until I guess they just they stopped sponsoring it because I guess Jesus hates us. Jeez, Grant! Wow, man. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, Bad Boy Mowers clearly decided that they wanted to uh, jump up in the world because Bad Boy Mowers now decides that they want to s- uh, sponsor the Pinstripe Bowl in New York. Really? That's always like yes. the Pinstripe Bowl is always just so aesthetically ugly and terrible looking. Why would they? Why would they deprive pri- deprive us of? I don't know of happiness and joy, especially at the holiday time. That's actually it's a national scandal. It's a national scandal. One of my favorite things about the pinstripe bowl normally, uh, <laughs> like I have some sort of pinstripe bowl thoughts, but in I have the, one actually. In the six years the pinstripe bowl has like existed? <laughs> yeah, and it actually, it, it factors in for this particular pinstripe bowl. And we'll get to OU real quick. I, I, I promise, I'm sorry that we're talking about random bowl games, but it's Miami and Rutgers. And I just love betting against Miami when they're playing up in New York in December. Because they're uh, in Miami, it's super warm, and they go to cold weather. And then Miami always just is like they're too cold and they lose. So I'm all over Rutgers in that one, no doubt about it. Oh, that's a that's a Rutgers layup. I, I don't I don't think you can be serious about gambling money on football if you're if you're like earnestly taking the Hurricanes in that game. I mean, not only do I get to to bet that fun uh, part of it where it's it's a weather. You got a, a warm weather team going north. Also, I get to bet against Mario Cristobal. I, I, I knew just, that I, was I coming. Was, I knew I, that was I, coming. And that's, we're talking, that's the slam dunk right there. I was actually, and that I was. numbers uh, moved, by the way. I was way. listening it, it's, uh, it's, on, the, on the drive today, Lee. This may be a little bit of a, of a segue into what we're first talking about here. But on the drive up here today, or down here, I was listening to, uh, to Through the Keyhole podcast. Our friend Brady Trantham and Peyton Guthrie. We're on that episode. They were talking about the recruiting class and whatnot, and they were going and you know talking about the top ten recruiting classes, and of course they were talking about how Miami is up there at number three. That's a top five class for Miami. And Brady said, "Does anyone really think that Miami is going to do anything with that third ranked recruiting class?" And so he's basically saying, like, so does it really count? Like, should we really be that like worried about like a team like Miami being ahead of OU? And I think. I think like if you were supposed to be like an objective journalist or whatever, you'd, you'd probably have to tiss tiss that and be like, now, come on now. But that's slam dunk. That's absolutely correct. Miami's not going to do anything with that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Mario Cristobal has done anything with any of his recruiting classes. Uh, so, yeah, I'm it's not like, it's particularly... Like, it's, it's like we yeah, got to give... We got to give our, 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 our homies over in College Station at Texas A&M just like a fist bump. Because when they had the number one recruiting class, best recruiting class of all time, two cycles ago, I think everybody was just sort of sanguine about it. It was like, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. Because they knew exactly what was going to happen to it. And that has already played itself out. It, I just, like, it's, one of the, it's just one of those things that is actually great about college football. And so like, I hope Miami tries to make Mario Cristobal work for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Texas A&M, number 17, in the 247 composite right ahead of one spot ahead of USC who's at 18 remember uh, all the the narrative well about how awesome of a recruiter Lincoln Riley was or is it's actually yeah and, and then uh, you know more time went on at OU and it kind of always seems like they struck out on their number one choices and they never had any backup plans and 
we saw what the what shape the roster was in after he left in that first year and yeah it kind of seems like Lincoln Riley's actually sort of a bad recruiter (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll get to the recruiting class I know that's some of the biggest news but as we have said multiple times before on this show this is not a recruiting podcast but of course national signing day comes and goes so we're going to touch on it but it's not gonna be the first thing I think we're going to go over what has happened since our last show it's been nine ten days since our last show and uh, people returning people leaving we're getting some more clarity about the roster so let's start there and our last episode we were talking about three different defensive linemen that we were hoping that they'd all return and so far and I think it's only been two of the three maybe it's three of the three maybe I'm missing but we've heard about two of the three at least and it's good news Dejon Terry and Jacob Lacey are both back they're coming back next year the third one we were talking about is Trace Ford and I I haven't heard anything about Trace Ford have you I have not so I I don't a decision has not come down there yet so um, I I don't think but at least two of those three though but good news we got them they're they're coming back that's great and so I hope Trace does come back because we're at the point now where essentially all of the guys that you know could have left, um, the ones who have made a decision so far, they're, they've been coming back. And we're talking about on the defensive side of the ball. And so I think at this point in time, you just, you just say, might as well keep it rolling with Trace Ford and Woody Washington and just say, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be upset that going into year one of the SEC, OU looks like they're going to have one of their most experienced defenses they've had in the last decade and their first year going to the SEC, uh, which is a big deal. It's a big deal. And so uh, Dejon Terry and Jacob Lacey coming back, um, I, I think is massive, Is was such an important piece for OU um, because if you look at their defensive depth chart going into next year, everything looks pretty good in terms of bodies and where they have experience um, except for right there up the middle, right there in the defensive line. But now with Terry and Lacey coming back, those are two guys. They started every game this year. And I uh, I thought they were really solid. They're good players for OU. Um, go back. I, you know, I think just like everyone, you know, they kind of lost some momentum on the defensive line in the second half of the season. They got banged up. Um, really just to see how they kind of, how they look in the Alamo Bowl after over a month off. But um, that first year going to the SEC, just so you don't have to rely on um, on really young guys coming in and having to play on the defensive line like that is, I, I think, is a huge deal. I, I thought, I mean, and this is going to be a thing. This is going to be a subject that, you know, as OU fans, we're probably going to have to move on from. I'm glad we haven't podcasted at all in the last week after, like, all of this stuff has kind of been going down. But Dejon Terry and Jacob Lacey coming back next year is more important than Caden Green coming back next year. It is not even close. That's, that's like, slam dunk, obvious. And so, like, that, all of that stuff broke, I think, around the same time that Green had entered the, the transfer portal around that. And so, I, I'm just, this is probably what you should focus on. This was a big, big deal that they decided to come back. Yeah, and I tend to agree with that statement. We'll get to Caden Green here coming up, but this is perfect because I wanted to start with the defensive, you know, of course, those two defensive linemen. And then I wanted to get into, actually, a discussion, a breakdown of that defense because you mentioned how... Uh, experience this defense is going to be it looks like coming back and so I was looking back so uh, like the starters versus TCU I'll go down the list and this is based on the first snap of the game I went back and watched just because it's it's tough now you go to these box scores and and they don't it's not all laid out as well as it used to be Uh, maybe some places have it better than others I didn't find it but in the secondary that started against TCU Woody Washington Gentry Williams at corner Reggie Pearson 
Billy Bowman and Kendall Dolby was at Cheetah, so the five back there. On the defensive line, Ethan Downs, Jacob Lacey, Isaiah Coe got the start in that game, and Rondell Bothroyd on the defensive line. And then, of course, Stutzman and uh, Kip Lewis at linebacker. And so of those 11, you know, Pearson, we just, he just came out today. Pearson's gone. He's going to the NFL. I, I don't even know if he had any eligibility left or not. But, uh, yeah, so he's going to the – so we knew he was leaving. But, okay, Reggie Pearson, gone fine. Uh, we're still waiting on Woody Washington, see what his plans are going to be. Uh, Bothroyd, of course, is going to be out. And then Isaiah Coe is gone you know like the of the the defensive contributors grant of 2023 the three that are gone correct me if i'm wrong bothroyd pearson co that is it as of right now that is it as of now um yeah and i would say like in in terms of the major contributors it's, it's just woody would be the only one left and um I, you know, I, if you would have asked me nine days ago, I would have said, ah, you know, maybe it's it's time for for Woody to move on, get maybe some new blood in there. But also, I, I don't. First year in the SEC, I don't know. If, you can't say no to a to a sixth year corner who is going to be in a, in essentially his fourth year of being a full time starter. I don't think you can say no to that. I agree, and we'll see about you know what Woody decides to do. And so let's go over. You know, those are I guess if you look at the the starting eleven against TCU. Three of those are three of those players are gone. So a, but really, Dejon Terry, Jacob. I mean, you could throw Terry in for Co. That's like a starter. Boom. And I gotta be honest with you, I, I don't, I don't. Reggie Pearson is not. Right, I don't you necessarily throw, throw Peyton Bowen in there. Peyton Bowen, because so. we know you got you're gonna have kind of all American level type thing back there from Billy Bowman starting starting out. And I think everybody just sort of assumes the other two guys who are gonna get most of the run there are just Robert Spears Jennings and Peyton Bowen, who I thought when Peyton Bowen was healthy. He flashed a lot and was good. He wasn't healthy in the second half of the year. And I thought Robert Spears Jennings was just flat out solid as hell over yeah, the last like yeah. three or four games of the year. And so, yeah, let's, and you mentioned the defensive backs. Let's talk about them, just the depth there. Bowen and Spears Jennings, two players that we would expect, uh, you know, Bowen for sure to, to be a starter going into next year. And maybe even RSJ too. Not even counting the, a guy like uh, Des Malone, who is, who is going to be in his fifth year of college football. Oh, that's right. Was a two or three year starter at San Diego State, a lot of experience. And so, I mean, stuff like that. And then, because he's a corner, right? And so, he's a corner. And then you throw in the fact that the depth at cornerback, the young players, you got Vickers, just uh, Jacoby Johnson, who I like a lot, played just very sparingly, but I like him a lot. Josiah Wagner. And then, by the way, Kanai Walker's still there. And you throw in the, the transfer you mentioned. Maybe Woody Washington, maybe that, that's why he hasn't made a decision yet because he's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to get the first chance to start, but also this cornerback room is, is deep and maybe I'll give it a shot and try to see if I can make an NFL roster. I mean, I'm sure he's trying to figure out his chances of making an NFL roster compared to playing a lot at OU. But how about that depth grant there at the cornerback position that, I mean, granted, I, we didn't see a whole lot out of those other corners. Kanai Walker played a decent amount. He was he was good and bad. He was kind of inconsistent. The other guys we didn't see a whole lot of. But another year in the program, he, we all kind of want to think positive things. Uh, there's a lot of depth in the in the defensive back room, and it's not the same. I you know I but be cautious because how many times in this podcast have we been excited about the defensive backs and then they've been OUDBs that look terrible. At least now with with Venables and you know Jay Valai and, and Brandon Hall like I think there's a little bit more improvement and I think it's more fair for us to potentially be a little bit more excited about the development of these guys yeah and I think um 
and I'm glad you brought that up because you do have to remind yourself of it that that was I mean the past defense this year was not good. I, I don't I don't I don't nope. necessarily want to get to the point where it's to say it's bad and I know I know I use those words at times this year, but I you know it wasn't as it wasn't as bad as it got to last season at its worst, and I, I they were they were pretty good in the first half of the year. They weren't really giving up a lot of chunk stuff through the air. I thought a lot of that coincided with the defensive line just just being cold as hell in the second half of the year, not really getting after the quarterback. Uh, and you know, I mean, there was there was stuff. To, I mean, there was there was some sloppy defensive back play too. But they put enough good things out there this year to where, like, yeah, I mean, more experience coming back, you can talk yourself into a big jump being made there. Especially if you're going to get all American level play out of Billy Bowman. But even you know, he's even got to get better one on one in coverage as well. Yep. Uh, lastly, just another name to throw out there that didn't do anything this season, but just because uh, his brother's on the team with uh, Desan. I mean, Dave McCullough. I don't know. Is he going to be a thing? I don't know. We'll see. No, no. Uh, I mean, I he was, he was I'm sure he's a red shirt, but he's a guy like I like his size. And he's kind of yeah. lengthy. He's kind of long, but that's a uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they got a lot of bodies back there. That's you can. It's like comparing that roster management of the defense compared to the last staff that was here it's like it, you kind of ask yourself it's like okay is this really what it's supposed to look like because it's night and day I mean it is um and we I mean we saw it this year they were even when they were bad this year they were they were better than really anything that we ever saw out of the the Riley Grinch regime oh and also one more name that I have on my notes here I almost forgot and I don't know what's going to come of this, but what about Justin Harrington? Can he potentially get some sort of injury redshirt NCAA thing? Does he want to come back? They're, sure they're trying. Back. You know, I that's a wild card. Could he be, I, I'm, could he be I'm in the not, mix? I'm not counting on it. I don't think anyone's counting on that. Um, but hey, it, it could surprise. He like, you know, it's too bad he got to play like four or five quarters this year before he, you know, before he was lost for the season. But and that brief time it looked like he had kind of put some stuff together he looked like he was just a more confident player out there so I you know he's coming off he's a guy who is he's a guy that we can safely categorize as 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 an injury guy he is he's just a the walking wounded true true yeah even if he was able to get eligibility and play I mean one you know what's his status if he's able to come back you know he's had plenty of time he'll have plenty of time to heal from the ACL but also to your point, he's already had a knee injury before. You can't That's a second you, ACL. You I don't think it's the same knee, but it's yeah. it's the sec. I mean, yeah, if he's torn both of his ACLs. Oof. Yeah. So yeah, you wouldn't be counting on him to play. I mean, it basically, and it, to me, it'd almost be like he'd like be the Marcus Major of the defense. Like, yeah, like whatever you can get out of him, great. But he's probably not going to play a full season. He's got to get. But hurt. also, I think him not being available at Cheetah absolutely changed their calculus on things. Because we saw in the second half of the year, which we which we theorized here that Desan McCullough was just not going to be able to hold up in coverage, as in that just was not going to work out, and so I think that's why we saw way less of him in the second half of the year, the last quarter of the season especially. Um, and then Kendall Dolby, I, Kendall Dolby was a guy who flashed a lot. Seems like he's kind of a dog back there, but also I kind of would almost prefer he's a he's a corner. I'd prefer him being a corner. Yeah, because that's his natural position, right? And, yeah. You know, Kendall Dolby had had some nice moments, but also, I don't know. I I think the jury's still out on him. Clearly, he impressed Brent Venables and the, and the and Ted Roof because he played a lot. I mean, he played a ton of Cheetah. He played a ton of snaps. Uh, 
he's not a bad player, but I, I don't know. I mean, the, the UCF game stood out, even though I guess he didn't even – he did the wrong thing, but just he made a play. Like, he wasn't supposed to what he did and made that play to stop that two-point conversion. So, I just – yeah, maybe, you know, maybe he's a better corner, but it's like that, that room is so deep. But, heck, if he's really good at corner, move somebody else to Cheetah. Maybe somebody else is better at Cheetah. I don't know. Like, so, we'll see. It'd Let's be cool if it was like the NFL where you could just like – where it's like all the guys are pros and a vast majority of them like know a bunch of different defenses. And it's just like, hey, yeah, it's like for this specific game and this specific matchup, this guy playing slot corners are better matchups. So this is just where we're going to put him. And it's like it'd be sweet if you had the flexibility of stuff like that. Well, with this preventables defense going to the SEC, they're going to, baby. Believe it. Bank on it. But the linebackers. So obviously you got Kip Lewis and Danny Stutzman. They're back. And, you know, we talked about Desam McCullough a moment ago. What's his role going to be moving forward? You, I want him on the field. I, I love his size and his athleticism. But yeah, I mean. See, I thought McCullough was good. McCullough yeah. was, was really good in the box this year. Yeah. It's almost like, do you think about just like, do you think about just giving him run like it will or something as like a rotational piece? Or, or do you. Or in the off season, do they start thinking about, ooh, do we maybe put ten pounds on him, and do we do we have him like more in a jack linebacker type role, which which I think is which is what he played at Indiana, which is where he was able to at least get some statistics his freshman year at Indiana. Um, I, I just think you're, and hey, I mean maybe this is a crazy thing that maybe they go to the SEC and the coaching staffs just aren't as sharp anymore, and they don't just automatically identified this is the guy that we got to go after honestly dude that that seems i I, that's not going to happen i I just i cannot see that that being the case the big 12 has a lot of good coaches the the sec's got some great coaches but also they got some eh, i don't know Uh, so we'll see Uh, i mean curious to see how his his career plays out the dasan and then of course you got kobe mckenzie who came on curious to see where he goes jaron canick yeah he's still around jaron canick lewis carter i feel like like one of the um I'd be honest, I feel like kind of one of the more overplayed hands this year it was, was people really going after Jaron Kanick in the second half of the year. I, I, don't, I don't really get that at all. Um, My one complaint about Jaron, he, he looked like old, like the, the type of OU linebacker we've seen the last handful of years in pass coverage. He, he just yeah, did oh, not yeah. look like No, I mean, there's, there's things that he struggled with. And like he, I mean, he lost his starting job for a reason. Okay, but like, I'm... He's still, I mean, what he showed out there is still 10 times better than anything we saw from David Aguebu last season. It's like, not, it doesn't even get, just, doesn't even get close. Just come back to that. To how bad Aguebu was. Not, not even, not even remotely close. Yeah, and Aguebu just kept, kept playing. And man, now in hindsight, Grant, how much of, how much of that was just straight up, well, he's a senior and we, we don't want to, we don't want to bench him. We just want to play our veteran like you telling me that all these guys could not have played more snaps I mean, Kip Lewis on the team last year Kobe McKinney yeah I think like team. in in I retrospect just, in retrospect like I would have been really curious because like, I mean it's what I mean Deshaun White had the best career had the best season of his career playing Cheetah last year and he was really good but like I'm so, you can't you can't tell me that like a fifth year Desh- like matured Deshaun White would not have been just a massive upgrade in the middle of that defense over David Aguebu. He absolutely would have been. He just would have lived with whoever you threw at Cheetah, I feel like. Um, yeah, I, it, whatever, it doesn't yeah. matter. That season is so over and so gone. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, the reason I bring it up, though, is it comes back to just the puzzling 
decisions we've made with personnel decisions, mainly at the running back position. And it makes me wonder if that was a big thing with Brent Venables in the defense too. And it, and we'll get to it later on because I got some questions about. Let's see. I I'm pretty sure I was putting. It's like I'm sitting here trying to think who the ba- who the backup was. I mean, was it was his backup Shane Witter last year? Because if that's the case, then no, you can't put Shane Witter out there. Jaron Can- Jaron Canick was a cheetah. Uh, last that's year, right. Times. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm thinking of Oguebu. Who who is Oguebu's backup? I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I it's. Weird season. I mean, he played. Doesn't he matter. played like the whole year. He, like he never like left the field. It was. It seemed like he was. Out yeah, him and time. Stutzman like never did. I mean, his backup could have been all those. Anyway, this is all. This is all played. to say that literally all of their linebackers are back. They're not graduating any of them of consequence. So yeah, I mean, you got Desan, McKenzie, Canick, and then after that, just a few names to keep an eye on that see how they progress. And you know, Lewis Carter. That was a guy that I know you liked a lot. Lewis freaking and, Carter, man. Let's go, Lewis Carter kind of season. Like, He's kind of built like Kip Lewis. He's kind of an undersized linebacker. We'll see what he can turn out. I mean, he played a lot of special teams this year. Samuel Omosigo played a lot of special teams as well and actually was a contributor this season, which I kind of had forgotten, but I looked at he, uh, um, he was a guy who looked like he physically belonged in his first year. Like when you, when you see him out there, number 24, Omosigo I'm talking about, you're like, oh, wow, that guy looks kind of different out there. Like he, he was one of those. And then lastly, this guy didn't play this season because he was hurt, but we'll see what he co- looks like coming back off injury. Phil Pachotti, and his size is great. He's 6'3", 240, and I think he was a player that people liked. Like, I don't know if he was going to contribute this season, but I know he that was a guy. That dude's high school tape that, is, is good. Yeah. Is like dominantly good. So linebacker depth, it, obviously with Stutzman returning, it's, it's great. It's, it's looking good, too. And then finally, I was going to move on to the D-line. Do you have any other linebacker thoughts? Uh, no. I mean, they should have. With Danny coming back, you're, you're really looking for that, especially with all the other guys around him in their third year of the program now. Um, you're, you're really looking for I, – I think it's, it's not unrealistic to hope that that's just one of the better defensive units in the country next year. I think that's a, it's a realistic expectation. And then finally, on the defensive line, obviously, you got Ethan Downs and Jacob Lacey returning, who were both starting that final game. But then uh, the aforementioned DeJon Terry, he's back. And then on the edge, what's going to go on with P.J. Adebore? How is he going to develop? You know, we saw a decent amount of him, and it kind of tapered off, I feel like, at the end of the year. Uh, R. Mason Thomas, uh, we'll see what he can do in his third season. And then on, on the interior, you got Grayson Halton, who was a contributor this season as well. We're going to wait on Trace Ford. That'd be nice to see him come back. And then, obviously, you know who knows because this guy will be brand new. But David Stone's a five-star interior lineman, and who knows? Like, I wouldn't want to sleep see a guy on, like that. Wouldn't sleep on on Jaden Jackson either. An interior dude. He's uh he's he's just big. He's huge. And so, um, coming from the same program as as David Stone, um, yeah. I mean, I think everybody with. With with PJ Adabaroe, I think everybody is I like everybody hopes that he establishes himself and that he's starting opposite Ethan Downs week one next year. I think that, you know that's obviously the the best scenario. And then um and I still think I still think everybody expects they'll probably still add another maybe another defensive lineman or two in the transfer portal. 
Um, there's there's a particular person who's not in there yet that everybody is kind of clam you know clamoring for. Um, we'll see if that happens. I don't know. Uh, you'd you'd expect if that happens, it'll be in the next couple weeks or so. Um, talk about you know talk about David Hicks, obviously. Um, oh yeah. And so they just they also just offered the another a defensive end from Albany, uh, like Anton Unjic or something. Uh, he's a he's an FCS All American. He has he had he had really good numbers at Albany. His tape's pretty good too. He looks he looks explosive. So we'll uh, we'll see kind of what that. But I I think right now it's at the point where, and and I'm sure there still will be some more roster defections after spring. You know after you know you know once the new year comes and everything. But they are putting themselves, and I know everybody was kind of freaking out about the offensive line, and and you know some of those concerns are not totally unfounded. But the thing I'm really focused on is in year one in the SEC, you can really talk yourself into OU's defense making a significant jump next season. You really, really can. And it's not, and it's not crazy. It's not hopium. It would be a very logical progression. Sure, yeah. I, they just got to get better at defending the pass. And even though Oklahoma's schedule, which we'll talk about coming up, is brutal, I don't know, man, like, the Big 12 forces you to defend the pass a heck of a lot, and the SEC does from time to time. But I don't know, depending on who you're playing, not as much. And so we'll see how that ends up changing everything out. So you mentioned uh, the offensive line. Let's let's transition to the whole Caden Green situation because now we know that he's going to Missouri. Uh, real quick, by the way, just throw this in there. One quick other note on the defense: uh, a departing guy. We found out Key Lawrence is going to go to Ole Miss. So uh, OU will potentially see Key Lawrence next year when they play against Ole Miss. We'll see if Key's uh, a contributor and playing for him. I don't know. Uh, anyways, back to – so Caden Green's going to go to Missouri. I know that whole thing has been going on. You know, I talked about the offensive line in the opening take. My, obviously, everybody wants Caden Green to still be on the team. Uh, but I, my contention is, is that it's way too early to get too worked up, worked up about it. Uh, if we fast forward to October 1st and Oklahoma's offensive line looks like it's a mess – and we're all kind of like grinding our teeth and it's not a great start to the season they've they've dropped a game or two because they can't run the football and Jackson Arnold's being harassed and uh, it'd be nice to have some more bodies and you know then those of you who are very upset and bothered by Caden Green leaving can take a victory lap you can I just think it's too early right now to to get too worked up about it yeah and I like yeah I kind of want to toe the line because I don't want to I don't want to tell people who are upset about it that it, they're wrong and it's stupid to feel that way because you know, I mean this is this is a new thing it's a new thing to have to get used to in college football and um I guess from my perspective I just I I don't go as hard in the paint on the Bill Biedenboe takes as anyone else does I, I genuinely think that Bill Biedenboe is a magician um he is <laughs> I, I I haven't forgotten that they just totally patched together a, a whatever offensive line last season in the bowl game against Florida State and they ran for over 200 yards like it was like kind of like easily um, like he did the exact same thing over a decade ago and they beat Alabama a full strength Alabama team with a patchwork offensive line I this is even when Oklahoma is is quote-unquote bad on the offensive line guys they're they're really good they're still really good and I, I just Caden Green last season left guard uh, is is either the least important or second least important position in all of football. I, I don't know what else to tell you. 
And it's Caden Green leaving is not going to make or break next season. Period. Yeah, and for me, if, if a guy doesn't want to be here, then he doesn't want to be here. And like, it is what it is. That that's the way, and especially these days in current college football, when people can leave so easily. That's just something that they can take advantage of. And I know, you know there's people that don't like the way things are going right now. And I, I don't mind it. I think everything is whatever, fine. Like, that's just the way it is. I, I'm not as into, uh, you know, you're committing and now you're there forever. Like, I just, it, to me, it's, it is what it is. If you want to play somewhere else, you can play. Just the, word, the thing with Caden Green that was weird is that he was playing and he was going to be a starter and he decided to leave. That tells me he just, I know that there's a, a gay biker talked about the whole situation on his podcast. And it sounded like there was a money thing, and uh, OU, according to Gabe, said that they would pay him what he wanted to be paid, but he, and he still ended up leaving. To me, it's like, well, he, he didn't want to be here to begin with then. He, he wanted to go, and uh, I guess he, he's from Missouri, right? So is he going closer to home? And okay, that it's not ideal. Yeah, I'd like to be, him to be on the team, uh, but that's just the way it is. And I guess I don't see any evidence right now to suggest that something like this we should be fearful of this happening or being a, a consistent thing in the Brent Venables in, in his program yeah the more the more a little bit of information kind of starts to trickle out it it, it kind of just seems like it's a it's just a weird confluence of events that happened and also is he just if if this confluence of weird events led to him not being here anymore he probably doesn't want to be here that's and you're right about that. And so I like Caden Green is a good player and he played well this year and I would prefer to have him. But it's it's okay. They they got some other guys. They got some other guys and they they thankfully have the best offensive line coach in the country at throwing stuff together when it seemingly should not work. Um and and I also just and like I understand that people are upset, you know, frustrated with the recruiting and that how, you know, he doesn't have a ton of like skins on the wall in terms of blue chip recruits and Granted, that's that's correct. He doesn't. He and you know the blue chip recruits that he does have historically, he doesn't do particularly well with, and so that's why I'm very pleased to inform everyone that he's only got one blue chip recruit out of offensive linemen in this in this next class. Like in this 2024 class, this is a classic Bill Bedenboe type look of a class, an offensive line class that has multiple NFL guys. This looks a lot like the 2016 class that had both Orlando Brown and Cody Ford neither of which were blue chip guys. And they're the two best offensive linemen, not counting Creed Humphrey, that OU has had in the last 10 years here. Mm, I mean, does everyone love Anton Harrison? Yeah, I forgot about I Anton. That's, I, I, was, I was trying to make a point, and I forgot about Anton is great. <laughs> Anton is, was, was the best of all of those, so sorry, Anton. I mean, they got a lot of guys drafted in that, that. I mean, Ben Powers is really good. You know, he's... No, I mean those those seventeen and eighteen lines were really really good. They had a bunch of, yeah, they had, they had a bunch of career Bobby NFL Evans, dudes. You know, like Bobby good. Evans is still in the league. I, he's not. He doesn't play, but he's getting a paycheck. That's the thing. So I, I'll get your thoughts. I mean, I I know there's the the easy joke or comment anybody can make in the OU universe right now is well, I mean, I guess we'll figure out who's going to be playing offensive line. Uh, can, can Oklahoma get an offensive line together for the the Alamo Bowl and? Like yes, they they have lost some yeah, guys. They're, my thing is like, they're gonna be well, fine. Yeah, they're much. They are in much better position going into this bowl game right now in a week than they were last year going to the Cheez It Bowl. It's not even close for like a, a one game off type situation. The thing is, I don't even remember where they were off offensive line wise last year, but I don't recall 
I don't think I recall being particularly worried about it. <laughs> I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, you, you throw. Like, I think they they got some players that have played a little bit, and maybe this is the upside to Beatenbow's shtick, where he plays a bunch of random guys, and they don't set on play because it seems like a lot of the guys that they can use or they can use that have played a lot. Uh, we've seen, and I mean, it's I see that Jacob Sexton is starting to develop. He's there. Obviously, Rouse and Metower, that's good to have them. Yeah, you know, we're we're gonna wait to see who's gonna play center. That's kind of I don't know. I mean, what if uh, you know, what if Joshua Bates does play center? Like, what if he's actually a good center and they got? I know. Their I keep like I keep thinking that too. What if Joshua Bates is like really good? That's not out of the equation. That's not like oh, a. Yeah. So, anyways, okay. So I guess we're both on the same page with the offensive line for this game. Let's see. So okay. So that's the Caden Green situation. I don't have anything else really much to say. I, it's the guy didn't want to be here, and I know that. Yeah, dude wants to other, go play at Mizzou over Oklahoma. Be my guest. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. I know that players really like. I'm blanking on Missouri's coach. I know what's his Eli name. Eli Drinkwitz. Drinkwitz. Yeah. I know players love playing for that guy. Uh, I currently work. I work with somebody who's has a son on the Missouri roster and. He, he, big big players coach like everybody loves Eli Drinkwitz and his coaching staff so and it's just shocking that they're as good as they were this year at least I mean I know like analytically and stuff people can poke holes in their schedule and I, it's fair but I mean Missouri was not supposed to win what are they 10 and 2 yeah, yeah, 10, and two. 10 and 2 this year so he's done a nice job clearly but yeah I'm with you if you want to go play for Missouri and instead of Oklahoma then yeah be my guest okay maybe you're just one of those guys that doesn't like being away from home then okay fine grow up <laughs> Unless he has like some sort of family thing that okay fine, which I'm not an expert on Caden Green's life, so he might. No, I mean this is a this is a full on like this is this is a this is the first like big time nil situation that OU has experienced with a guy currently on the roster, not on the roster anymore, but and that that's what happened here. There was it's 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 money involved somehow, and you know what? Whatever I. I, I made the decision like a year or so ago that I was just not going to get too high or too low about any of that stuff, and here we are. Let's move it on to a couple of players that Oklahoma has gotten out of the transfer portal since our last show, and you brought this tight end up on the last episode. I'm all Bauer in. Bauer Sharp. I'm all in. Love this dude. Love this dude. So I, I wish I could see more of his tape. Uh, it's like going on a treasure hunt to find video from Southeast Louisiana. Uh, but his measurables are off the chain. Uh, I saw that they Southeast Louisiana would use Bauer Sharp as a wildcat quarterback from Belldozer baby. And I, his numbers aren't particularly great. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would think Southeast, like, okay. Southeast Louisiana was very bad. He was like their entire offense. So whenever they actually they were able to move the ball, anything, it was basically though. him. I don't know. They had some skill guys when I was watching some of their games that they could get the ball to. I don't know. I mean, I think you got a player like them. Get the get him the ball more. I mean, I think he only had he had one game this year. He had like six catches, and then he had a game with like four. And other than that, he was like one catch or two catches. Like, how do you not get this guy more involved? So, is that just a Southeast Louisiana problem, or which is always possible, or is this guy? I don't know. I don't know something up with this guy. But yeah, I mean, he's like what six four, six five. Like two four. I mean, he's built like one of these move big old tight end guys. That he looks like a in his, rage. in his pads and the way that he moves against FCS. Comedy, he looks like an NFL guy, like as like an NFL guy would look. And that 
like, yeah, it, it could happen. It could so be that, you know, once he gets here and like the little, you know, the fundamentals of the game, maybe he's just terrible. I don't know, but uh, he, he, he looks pretty great to me and he looks explosive and uh, I'm all in on this guy. And uh, I just, I'm what, I mean, it'd be pretty cool if they have like a uber athletic Swiss army knife, white tight end to Moss's people. That'd be sweet. <laughs> yeah. Six, five, two forty five can run. And I, uh, even though I've only seen a couple of his games, I was kind of scrubbing through highlights, trying to find his plays. I can say with confidence that he's a, a gigantic upgrade over whatever they have in the tight end room right now. Like it's oh, yes, not he is a, close. A, a like upgrade athletically over Austin Stogner is not quantifiable. <laughs> so that's a big one. Also, they picked up a running back, Samuel Franklin out of UT Martin. So another FCS guy, I believe. Yeah, and I've seen a little bit of him. He looks like he's a potential home run hitter. He looks good. And could be a nice player. I, honestly, I think I think I, this is a yeah I do I I think this is a nice little pickup here actually it's a guy who was um and I'm not the first person to say this so you know drink if you hear this but yeah I mean yeah he was he was a finalist for the FCS Heisman and uh, oh wow that's great. that's you know that's that's pretty cool but yeah he looks I mean he's I I can I can assure you he's he's better player than Javante Barnes I I know that for sure from watching him oh yeah he he looked much better than Javante a lot more smooth uh, faster. Seemed like he had better vision. And, uh, well, congrats. Welcome to Oklahoma, Samuel. Your biggest, uh, I guess, deterrent, uh, really anything, is going to be uh, your position coach. So uh, have fun with that. Uh, As we'll, I say, we'll if uh, Sam Franklin comes in and he's like clearly the best running back and everybody sees it, I don't know if you're running back coach, Will, but we'll find <sighs> out. We'll see. Yeah, so that looks like a good upgrade. We'll save. we got some Tawi Walker to talk about here let's, let's let's save that here for a moment but we got one other guy that just came across today and good luck pronouncing this dude's name i Fabichi nawaiu we'll go with that offensive lineman so bill Bedenboe getting some offensive line help out of the portal. so this one i think is a little bit more um i know this guy was a freshman all-american last season at north texas um which means they have a they have a couple of freshman All American from last season on their roster now in the offensive line room with Nawaiu and Troy Everett. So we'll see if uh, we'll see how that how that goes. Well, good. So back to the running back. So Tommy Walker last episode we, we, we were like talking about how he was out at practice and even though he's in the portal or we're not even sure if he's officially in the portal, but he declared. So anyways, now we find out he's going to play in the bowl game. Uh, he's going to go through his portal options, and if Tawi wants to stay at Oklahoma, then Brent Venables says that he is welcome to come back. And so this is the part where I think, okay, good. The door is not shut on Tawi Walker. I, I get it that there's an X amount of scholarships. It's To me, it's just incredibly disrespectful that they can't find a scholarship for this guy. What am I missing? I, I, there's got to be something to it. I get that. Uh, you know, they've they've lost Marcus Major, Dalen Smothers. Okay, you just brought in this other running back from UT Martin, and you got some other players, you know, coming in, recruits and stuff. But I how can you not find a, a scholarship for Tawi? I don't I don't get it. Maybe there's behind the scenes things again like that outside of football that we just don't know about. It just it seems like a slam dunk whenever they're I don't know, I mean, Drake Stoops. Got a scholarship after being a walk-on and you know, really nice player. 
contributing. Tommy Walker is a, a great contributing player. I, I don't I mean, get it. Gavin Freeman's got a scholarship. Got a scholarship oh after being a walk-on. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Uh, this is, that's, um, a, that's an even better example of like, what are we I doing? I don't know. And this is like, this is where kind of like Big J journalism, this, you need to, you need to figure out what's going on with this. I, I don't, and I'm not talking to you specifically. I just, um, the Tawi Walker situation really upsets me. Because you're right, it does, it does kind of seem like they're not willing to give him a scholarship, and that's not acceptable. You give scholarships well, to, to believe it. You give scholarships to people who here. contribute on your team and help you win games. Tawi Walker was one of the chief reasons they won games this season. It is, it is a complete slap in the face. They're not giving this dude a scholarship. I don't like that. That makes me feel embarrassed for my program. Don't the do that. that he, it's interesting because the fact that he's not even just checked out and saying, all right, like you've disrespect. I, I think the term you've disrespected me is kind of played out and dumb. Cause like, but like, cause a lot of the times people say that or like those, and they haven't really earned any respect. Well, Tommy Walker certainly earned some respect. He, he was again for the millionth time for 60 to 70% of the season. He was the best running back on Oklahoma's roster until the end, until Gavin, Gavin Sajak finally started getting some run and getting comfortable. And he was and So the guy has earned a scholarship. I, and that's a great point. If Gavin Freeman has a scholarship after being a walk-on, why the heck does Toby Walker not have one? And also, why is he not just totally said, Oklahoma, like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to have plenty of options in the portal. Maybe he's not. Maybe, like, maybe there's something going on off the he's field. Got, that he's got options in the portal. He's, I've, there's, there's been stuff out there. He's, he's visited places. He's got okay. options. It's not he, he, he is going to be, if he is not at Oklahoma next season, he is going to be a contributor on a Power 5 team. Okay, so after all of that, the guy is still saying, yeah, I'd still want to play for you guys, and they still can't find him a scholarship. That is, that's wild. That's a great point. I'd be, it's, oh, be man, good... I'd be, I, and I guess I, I, don't, I don't know the inside info, but that's what I, man, if I'm an opposing coaching staff, I'd be all over that, all over that. But maybe that's just some one of the things that we're just so close to the program and we see it a different way when that's but yeah, I don't it's it's not they're they're not treating Tawi Walker well. They've treated him like crap the entire season. I don't like it. Treat your treat your guys who have been loyal, who have worked hard for you and have produced for you, treat them well. I agree. Uh, you know, we don't know what happened before he was what suspended for a game or whatever and i know there, there are rumors that he was talking back and maybe he was being disrespectful to the coaches and you can't do that you can't uh but again like man i'm i'm going against everything i usually stand for but from the outside looking in and the way it's been handled of all the situations where if that's actually true and i'm going to potentially maybe defend a player it's like it's something like this honestly and i i kind of hate that because coaches deserve respect you got to respect your coaches. You do. You're, you're a college kid. They're your superior. You respect them unless, for whatever reason, they give you a reason. They give you a reason to not respect them. They disrespect. Like they do. And and coaches have a lot more leeway, I think, than players. I mean, so who knows what happened? But it's it's wild, and I just I I, I want things to go well for Tawi Walker because he's earned it on the field. I just I I, I can't get it out of my head. To just like, especially in the first month of the season when there was all of that weird stuff going on with the running back rotation, when it wasn't even, I mean, we, we saw all four of the guys who it could have been, the number one guy, and it wasn't even, if, if you would have come out of those first four games and you didn't think that Tawi Walker was far and away their best option, I, 
I would have to I'd have to to consider what your motivations are. I'd have to, <laughs> yeah. which is which is what which is why I don't feel great about DeMarco Murray because it was obvious. It was obvious so there was something weird going on. Yeah, and I think out of all the positions on the field to evaluate, I think running back might be the easiest one. Correct. It like quarterback is is can be tough. I mean, it's like yeah, you, you, we all know a good quarterback play looks like. We saw a lot of it for a lot of years. But there's there's kind of like some gray areas here and there, but when it comes to running back, especially when you see so many of them, it I think that might be the easiest position to evaluate. They have the juice, reason, you know it pretty you yeah. know it within a handful of carries. Like we saw, I yeah. mean, Gavin Sachuk, one carry last year. Juice had it instantly. I was like, "Yep, he's got it." Okay, that's enough whining and complaining about Tawi. Best of luck to him. Hopefully, he has a good bowl game. Hopefully, they give him some run in the bowl game and he gets some some touches and looks good. And and he will look good and, uh, because scholarship. Every single time he has been fed the ball this year, he has produced and been good. Uh, let's go over to National Signing Day, and I'll just start this by saying. I've only seen tape of one of these players, and that's David Stone. And and uh, honestly, when it comes to David Stone, what I watched from him, it was probably I don't know, six, six to nine months ago. I wasn't blown away, but I don't think that means anything. You know, so what? So basically, I'll just kind of I have some superlatives of a few guys that I'm intrigued by. You may have more different players, but I'll start with. You know, obviously, David Stone's a crown jewel, five-star defensive lineman. We've been pining for it for years, and not just a D lineman, but a, an interior defensive lineman. Okay, that would number be great. number now, one defensive tackle in the country on every service. So, I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's they have the the unanimous number one defensive tackle out of high school in the country. And that's where Brent Venables got to get going. Todd Bates. This is what this is why you're here, man. Do your, do your magic, develop some guys, turn them into All-Americans. That's what, that's what we're looking for. So that's kind of the easy one. Everyone's excited about David Stone. I'll, the next one, I'll just go another, another big name in this class. Speaking of running backs, Taylor Tatum. And I know he's highly touted. What about 5'10", 5'10 and a half, 210 or so? I have not seen any, any of his tape. Do you have anything to say about Taylor Tatum? I've seen, I've seen some of his stuff. I, I'm not blown away by it. But also, I, that's not something that I'm super concerned about, really. Um, I will. Although, that, at, running back, at running back, though, we just talked about how that's the easiest position to probably evaluate if, if you're not being blown. I mean, I, I remember watching Gavin Sawchuk's Colorado, or Colorado High School tape and thinking, this guy looks pretty good. He looks really fast. And sure enough, Gavin Sawchuk looks pretty good in college. But at the same time, that's, there's easy misses. And we were talking about this before we started recording. You and I, I remember watching Clayton Smith's high school tape and thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is awesome. I mean, he was mossing guys as, as a wide receiver. And he's a defensive lineman or a lineman, like, and he's just a jag. Couldn't get on the field. Arizona State, I think he played sparingly. And it's like, all right, well, I, I don't know what I'm watching on tape, apparently. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, we'll we'll know a lot about Taylor Tatum when we first see him get the ball. I, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. But you know, he's supposed to be really well rounded. He's supposed to catch the ball really well out of the backfield. He's supposed to be like pretty heady and just like knows how to play the position type stuff. So, um, 
it, it's obviously never a bad thing when you bring in the number one running back in the country, but I, I don't he's not I don't think he's viewed as like an ultra elite recruit this season by really anybody. Um but also I mean if if you're gonna get running backs, you'd prefer to have the one that most people think is the best one. So they got that this time around. Uh the one guy like or not though, I mean there's multiple guys. So this is I, I'd say this is this is a class that is that is kind of light on star power. It's um they missed out on some guys, you know, the the Williams Winaries of the world, Dominic McKinley. Uh, some other big time dudes that they were in on that they didn't quite get to, but I mean, one of the first things that really stands out to me when I look is just the size of some of these guys. There's clearly some just sort of physical projects in here that they are probably they're just looking at some sort of just like a like a raw like athlete blueprint, and they're gonna try to to form them in. And you know, I mean, you got to have some guys like that. But I guess like I'm I'm gonna join the chorus here too because I I. I didn't see a lot of this guy until recently, and I I did see a lot of the cut-ups and the stuff of him, um, frankly, just physically dominating people in the the All-American Bowl last week or two weeks ago. Um, Danny Okoye is unreal. Like, actually, like, is, like, I watched him, and I was like, okay, yeah, no, he, he's the best athlete in this class. Like, he is a freak. That dude's a freak. So like I, I'm man. I if seeing what he's potentially going to do in the weight room is because man that guy is explosive. Oh, he's already listed at six four two forty. That's good enough to come off the edge right now. I haven't seen any of him, but I know he's getting talked up quite a bit. I mean that's great size. That's that's terrific. So yeah, I and like oh. I know it's like and people have just been sort of like. Seems like the chorus, you know, for him this week has been everyone just kind of talking about like, oh yeah, David Stone's great, but man, we may look back and in Okoye may be the crown jewel of this class when it's all said and done. And yeah, man, when you when you watch him dominating other like high school all Americans physically, it's like kind of like oh oh man, like it's it's stark. Like you're just like uh, he's he's like one of those guys where he just closes on people in a in an instant, and they're just down. And um, so I'm really excited about him. Uh, the other guy that I'm I'm really intrigued with, who I, I kind of liked when I watched him, was Michael Boganowski. He's a Kansas kid. Uh, he's from Junction City. And he's another guy who I think they're probably going to look at, like, at the cheetah position. He's another dude who is just long and lengthy. And um, he just kind of just looks like a really smooth, good athlete. And so I'm, I'm interested with him. And then, um, and like I said earlier, man, this is, uh, it's, I think it's a classic Bill Biedenbow offensive line class. Where, you know, Eddie Pierre Louis, who just committed uh, a few days ago, he's the only quote unquote blue chip guy of the bunch. But all the other guys are are huge. They look like good athletes, and they look like people who could maybe come in and 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 be really good pickups for them after two or three years of development. Which is that's what the offensive line is, man. That I mean, the offensive line has the most has the most diamonds of the rough of, of any position group. I, I think everybody knows that's the case. That's clearly the case. And I think OU has had more success going in that direction. Of course, like, you know, yeah, I would love them to get the big time, like blue chip five-star guys and, and, and get, you know, and Bill Biedenboe getting his hands on those guys. But you know what? Can't have everything. You can't have everything you want. And they've, they've still put out elite offensive lines when they haven't been getting those guys. And I, there's just nothing that has happened to suggest that that will not continue to happen. 
So you mentioned that Okoya could be the big, you know, best athlete in this class. I don't. I mean, I think uh, old old, uh, old Eddie Eddie Pierre Louis might might go ahead and push him for that because I saw this dude running. What he runs track. He's he's six three three thirty five and he's running. I, I don't like. I think like the hundred yard dash or something. Like he's moving. And so my thing is, uh, you said he's the only quote unquote blue chip. Two four seven composite. They have him listed as a three star. So I, I know he's a four star in other outlets, he's got, but rivals has him as like a top fifty player in the country. <laughs> but, but what about they have another guy uh, according to two four seven composite Eugene Brooks as a four star. So that's a blue chipper four, six that four guy's, three twenty. Guy's huge. I think he's, he's a, that's a guard. Obviously, that guy's for a high school. That dude is massive. Oh yeah, both guys are. Yeah, both guys are him and him and Eddie are, are guards. And I just think that's when I find out that. A big old 330-pound offensive lineman can pick him up and put him down and can run fast. Like that is to me elite athleticism. And that usually I, means just and just like I mean, yeah. OU gets a lot of guys like that, and it's no, it's like no surprise that OU is just is a is just a great pass blocking team year in and year out. Because that's what that's those are the type of the guys that you need. And um so yeah. For inter- sure. in, in, interesting recruiting class. I I, I don't I would still probably prefer last year's over this year's. Um, I think you know, there's. I, I probably would have, honestly, man. I I would have. I, I would have hoped they would have gotten some more kind of big time wide receivers. Uh, was my hope. Um, Zion Kearney does look really good. Really good size. He looks explosive. I like him. Uh, there's Zion Ragens as well. He's kind of a smaller guy, but. Um, I don't know. I, I I thought it was a little. I, I thought the class was a little light on on wide receivers. I felt like they didn't necessarily get their their top choices there. They wanted Kearney, but it seems like all the other guys were kind of Plan B and Plan C options. Um, other than that, for the longest time, Lee, um, like probably you know from beginning to end, this is the recruiting class that I've probably followed the least since I've been you know really following this type of stuff. But for the longest time. My opinions on this rec- on this recruiting class were kind of negatively shaded by my my perception of Michael Hawkins, who is their kind of crown jewel quarterback in this class. And I'll be honest with you, all the way up until kind of this season when he put together like a, a really really nice season at the you know the top level of of Texas high school football, um, I, I watched Michael Hawkins stuff and I was like, that guy's not any good. They need to get away from him. I, <laughs> and I'm I've I've softened on that. Uh, more just because he put together a really great senior year, uh, but man, go watch some of his junior stuff. Watch some of his tape from the Elite Eleven last year. Just not impressive throwing the ball at all. Um, he's an elite athlete. He's he's really good in the open field. He's he's really fast, and um, and it looks like he 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 kind of he he worked on some stuff for senior year. Like he had a he he threw the ball around quite a bit his senior year. But man, I I thought the stuff from his junior year in the Elite Eleven was was like really like oh oh god oh no like as in this guy is not gonna be able to complete forward passes at a high level. Yeah, that's kind of the especially now with Lebby gone, you know, Jackson Arnold. We're excited about him. How's is Seth Luttrell gonna be able to bring in some high talent elite quarterbacks? Yeah, and I haven't seen this guy play at all, so I have no comment on it. I'm curious to watch the receivers, Kearney, see him out, you know, because I remember watching Nick Anderson and like what I saw there. And I'm also going to be interested to watch this dude from Odessa, this string bean, 6'6, 196, Ivan Carrion, man. I, 
big old tall wide receiver man it's six six if he can move and he, if he's athletic that'll get me going and then even if you're not too excited about the wide receiver group here i think you got to throw in devon mitchell though who could be a swiss army knife type guy like where he could almost be another receiver i mean he's an athlete and he's a t- tight end how much does seth latrell use a tight end in his offense i guess i don't know but yeah i'm curious to see where that goes you got the guy who was uh you know previously the number one tight end in the 2025 class now reclassifying and i you know i think he's like the third or fourth tight end now in the 2024 class we'll see i mean he's a guy who like when you watch his stuff he looks like uh, he's one of those guys who is like like catching balls with one hands and like during like you know during warm-ups is like palming stuff and just kind of making it look easy We'll see. I, I just I, I don't necessarily always count on freshmen, especially tight ends, to come in and and I mean just the the two best tight ends OU has ever had in program history, Jermaine Gresham and, and Mark Andrews. Neither of those guys contributed their their first years on campus. And I we'll see with Mitchell. I mean, obviously there's less competition there, but uh, I'm just I, I just I don't see especially with all of the pass catchers they have coming back next season. I, I don't I'd I'd be surprised if he if he makes a big impact next year. Yeah, that's fair with the depth they have there. I, my thing is okay. You mentioned Gresham and Andrews. Fine. I, my, this is actually the guy that I wanted to bring up just because of his athleticism and if he is one of those players where he's kind of like wow. I mean that size. Get him the football. He can make things happen. If he's a player that can help your team. Why not let him contribute right away? But the question is, though, is that a thing where even if he is a lot better than other people, will he just not get a chance to play? And that's just the coach's decision. You know, again, going back to the running back room, I don't know, like how much of that it was just like, yeah, well, we're not going to play young guys. We're going to play our older guys. And then uh, even though their young guys are better. And I mean, now Levy's got how much did Levy have to do with that? I don't know. But I, I get I get that young players don't contribute right away that much at all. It's very rare. But man, we got to get away from talking about the running backs. Or I'm going to bring up Marcus Major in the Baylor game again next year, and we're going to get upset. And okay, yeah, all right, let's move on then. All right, yeah. So by the way, we didn't even say it, and I'm sure everyone knows number eight class two four seven composite, number eight in the nation. Last year, OU was number five, and I believe the year before that it was seven. So, I mean, consistent. Back to back to back, top ten classes for Brent Venables. It's and a good class. The- it's it's a good class. I you know, I know a lot of people say you know, hey, you know, fifth in the SEC though, even if it's a top ten class, which is you know that's that stuff matters now. You gotta you do have to think about that stuff. But I, I would say if I'm gonna have, you know, if I'm gonna have a class like this, which is you know fringe top ten and and you know it just has a lot of bodies, almost thirty guys, I, it's it's a nice little consolation for me that the the crown jewel of their class and, and the strength of their class is on the defensive line. And it's, I mean, it's, it's maybe the best defensive line class in the country this year. I mean, I think by star rating and recruit rating and you add them all up and average it up. I, I think, I think it is the best one in the country. So um, first year going to the sec, that's a big deal. And if there was any position group where I could have chosen, I want to have the best, you know, recruiting position group this this cycle it'd be on the defensive line very obviously so um and it's, it's hard it's it's you know it's still kind of tough it's tough to swallow thinking that ah, they could have had williams winery as well in there and 
Still working on Dominic McKinley, but that's that's probably not going to happen. Well, yeah, and if the David Hicks thing pans out with all the mass X, that's kind of like what's going on there. I guess I I don't follow that kind of stuff, so yeah, who knows? But well, there's just the kind of you know there there's some smoke there. You know, I mean, there's ever since Jimbo got fired, there's been kind of, you know from the far reaching corners of of sort of like you know the oh you people who know those things there's always been kind of you know rumblings and all of that and Brent Venables and Todd Bates have both visited you know Katie Paytow High School which is you know just happens to be where David Hicks's father is the head football coach and they weren't necessarily recruiting anybody there that we know of and the, and so like it's there's there's some smoke there if you want to look well, speaking of the SEC, let's talk about the schedule release, which was, I think, the day after our show recorded last week. And last week's show, we were just kind of did an impromptu trying to kind of guess the schedule because we knew the opponents. We just didn't know which way they would play. And I listened back to it, and I was all over the place. I, I must have been drinking or something. I, it was very confusing. I didn't know what I was talking about. On the other hand, Grant, you absolutely nailed it. You nailed exactly what the schedule is going to be. So congratulations. If I had a soundboard, I'd play some applause for you. You could take a victory lap. So, yeah, you nailed it. And, it, it, I mean, everyone knows what the schedule is right now. I mean, we've all seen it. it uh, it's brutal, but I suppose it's set up about as, I mean, uh, I guess you probably wouldn't want to play LSU and Bama back-to-back weeks. <laughs> but I would. With the bye weeks and stuff. You you would no okay I think so because they well that's why they gave him the buy right before that as well so I I there's just part of me where it's like because I know let's say they beat Alabama at home which I mean it's gonna be tough Alabama's in the playoff and they bring back pretty much everybody from their team next year um I mean yeah OU is gonna want to play in another big game after that they want to keep keep it rolling keep the momentum going um. I, I guess I do think, like, yeah, my, my takeaway from it, obviously, um, on paper, it's it's the most difficult OU schedule I have ever seen in my lifetime. It is brutal. But um, if they're going to have to play that schedule, I thought the SEC schedule makers made it, they set it up about as easily as you can if you're going to play that brutal schedule, I thought. It, it worked out the best, where it's like, where it's obviously, you know, Texas got a break because, you know, Texas is not been good for the last 14 years so they got an easier schedule coming into that first year but the way the where their games sit are are nowhere near as convenient as as like OU's like I mean Texas has to play OU and Georgia back to back that's that's kind of BS I mean that's I mean they deserve because Texas is playing maybe the easiest SEC schedule next year so I uh, no, Missouri definitely is but um so yeah, I mean that—that's that's just kind of the part Florida. of Texas schedule that's tough. They ha- they had to like, you, you got to make it tough on them a little bit. They get to play Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, like. Yeah, I guess Florida has the toughest schedule. I saw. I, uh, Florida, uh, the lat like Florida's like second half of the season is stupid. Like it'd be like if, especially coming off a of five a five and seven year, like I, Florida fans looking at that, you'd be forgiven if you're just like, man, screw this. Like, this is dumb. <laughs> Florida's got a random game against UCF in early October. <laughs> random non-conference game against UCF. Pretty sure Florida yeah, the, plays well, UCF, Miami, and Florida State next year. 
They do not. Uh, uh, Miami. They do play Miami. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they, yeah, that the last their last five games you mentioned, and there's no buys. <laughs> there's no buys in here. They get a buy before they they start this, but they're they're home against Georgia, at Texas, home against LSU, home against Ole Miss, at Florida State. <laughs> hey, at least all three t- of the all four. Teams. Or, 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 all teams next year that will be at the top will be in the top ten at some point in time. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, that's that's not that's not fun. But also, I mean, right. look at OU's yeah. schedule, man. That I mean, the like having to play Hypel, Hugh Freeze, and Sark back to back to back. That's kind of tough. That's that's kind of that's a that's a pretty that's a challenge there with offenses. Yeah. They definitely get a break, you know. Um, and and I, I kind of always knew that South Carolina would be right after Texas. That just I that just kind of seemed right to me. And uh, although I mean, just kind of where everything else lays is is kind of interesting, though. I think with that main game actually being like two weeks before it usually is in the SEC schedule, because like, usually they play the FCS game the week before Thanksgiving. And although the schedule's weird this year because Thanksgiving is is a week later than it usually is this year. Uh, just because how the calendar sits this year, so um, I don't know. It's 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 going to be like one of those where I I think their number in Vegas is probably going to be eight and a half. I would guess is is what I would peg it at right now, and um, it's going to be one of those seasons where I think expectations in the SEC for Oklahoma I think are probably going to be pretty low. I think most people are probably going to expect OU to be around the seven and five, eight and four mark. And so all I think of is just like, man, it'd be just think how awesome the year is going to be if they go over that or nine and three or 10 and two. And, and just think, man, I mean, and we haven't even gotten, we'll, we'll talk about the Arizona game later this week, but like, it's just kind of sinking into me now that Jackson Arnold is starting that game and he has his full array of wide receivers to throw to in that game that he's going to be thrown to next year. I mean, without Drake Stoops, but I mean, for the most part. And man, what if Jackson Arnold goes out and just and kind of lights it? What if he throws for 350 yards next week? And he looks like really cool. good it's, doing it. It's like it's certainly possible. Guys, you're gonna you're gonna forget about Caden Green. Promise you that. If that's the case, well, you're gonna forget about Dylan Gabriel. Uh, that's by the way, Dylan Gabriel. I, I guess it's not uh, he's gonna be the starter. But didn't they they just picked up at Oregon? They picked up some other like pretty highly touted quarterback. Yeah, Dante Moore backup. Yeah. Anyways, that's a that's a pretty nice little pickup there for. For Oregon, you get top five quarterback in college football this year to come in to be a one-year mercenary, and behind him you have, like, who a lot of people thought was the best uh, prep quarterback last season and wasn't, like, wasn't very good at UCLA this year, but, like, he flashed. Yeah, Chip Kelly could not figure out his quarterback situation. I get, like, all those guys play. They had Colin Schley there that apparently he sucks now. I guess he only looks good against Alex Grinch defenses, which I guess that makes sense. I mean, they didn't. Anyways, they didn't score a touchdown against OU last year. That's true. Oh no, that was last year. That wasn't Alex Grinch. That was uh, that was Venables. He just uh, he looked. He just has like all the measurables. But yeah, I guess he just isn't good. You mentioned the the game next week. We'll we'll do one more podcast before the Alamo Bowl. So let's just do a little little quick production meeting. I was thinking that we should probably record our next podcast. I'm. I mean, Christmas is Monday, so I think we either... Just do it on Christmas uh, Eve. 
Christmas Eve? So right? Sunday? Yeah. What are you just doing on Sunday? Well, I, was, I don't know. When am I going to have time to... I mean, we got we got stuff going on Sunday night. We got to go to church. Oh, that's whole, right. I forgot about that. The whole thing. Yeah. I was thinking we'd probably do it like Tuesday. And so that gives gives people... Uh, I mean, I'm, people I'm, like, I mean, we can. I mean, like, I'm I'm driving back to Minnesota on Tuesday. Oh, you are? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I thought you were here all week. No, huh. man. Okay. Time is money. Got to get back. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, yeah, I suppose we'll have to do it uh, earlier than that. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. So, yeah, I say that to say that we're not going to talk about the bull game right now. We'll save that for later. Uh, we do have some... Some Big 12 bowl games. And I, I guess I, I put these in here, and we're going to make some bowl picks. I did this all with the, the thought that uh, we'd record the next show, like on Tuesday. But I guess we're not going to. So this we'll just stick with this and then see what happens. That's fine. I figure we'll talk about all the Big 12 teams because they'll, they'll be playing in the next week. Or at least we can talk about a few, but maybe we can save a couple of these for the next episode. And if we do it Christmas Eve, I guess during the day, I suppose we could do it like Sunday during the day. We could probably make it. Well, it's no, I watch. I don't watch football. I watch the NFL, man. Oh, I don't care about watching the NFL on Sunday. Yeah, well, I do. Oh boy. Well, I guess maybe even Christmas Day we could do it. Maybe oh, we, we could actually. Day. Yeah, maybe we'll, yeah, maybe we're we'll not, do we're it not, Christmas Day. We're not children anymore, so Christmas Day is not too exciting. Not much going on either. Yeah, yeah, we should. Okay, let's plan on doing it Christmas Day. Let's do it then. Anyways, nobody cares about that. Let's talk about the Big 12 Bowl games and whatever comes to mind. So right now, by the way, uh, UCF and Georgia Tech is tied at 17 after Georgia or UCF looked like they were going to run away and hide maybe. This turned into a game. 17-17 before halftime. We'll see how that goes. I'm generally in the, the mindset that I'd love to see the Big 12 just sweep through all these bowl games and win them all and then see the Big 10 lose them all. I just have a huge vendetta, as you all know, this year against the Big 10. And it's mainly because of Penn State and slightly because of Michigan and Ohio State and the rest and basically the Big 10 West. I'm not as mad at Iowa just because they actually win. The other teams are terrible. But – uh we're not going to see. I mean, did, did the Big Ten and Big Twelve even play in the bowl game? I don't even think they do. Let's see. No, they don't. That's a shame. All right. So the next Big Twelve bowl game after this UCF game. By the way, UCF Colt, Colton Boomer missed a chip shot field goal. Kansas is against you. I mean, the Big Twelve bowl matchups are so they're so lame, man. I, they're not very good. Uh, Kansas against UNLV. The only game right now where like they. Where I'm looking at, or and I was listening to some podcasts, kind of uh, driving down this morning as well. But I say, yeah, I mean, Kansas is you know is one of only like a handful of double digit favorites in any bowl game this year against UNLV. Um, West Virginia nearly a touchdown favorite against UNC. UNC has a ton of opt outs and guys who are in the transfer portal. Obviously, I think that's the same including for, Drake May. I don't think Drake May, including playing. Drake May. I'm at the point now, it's like Texas A&M, I don't know how they're a two-point favorite over, over, over Oklahoma State right now. Um, Texas A&M I, I, is probably the team that is most affected by portal entries and whatever, whereas Oklahoma State I don't think has any. I think they're full strength for that game. Um, the one game where it's weird, NC State is full strength and Kansas State has a lot of opt-outs. So 
that's that's one where maybe that's that's not a great matchup for the Big Twelve. Mm, okay, it would be. I mean, if both if both teams were full strength, that's a that's a game where Kansas State is maybe a double digit favorite. But um, I don't know. Yeah, and then you know, Iowa officially... State playing Memphis, even though that's that's interesting. Memphis is playing a home game against Iowa State in the Liberty Bowl. Did they do this a few years ago? Did Iowa State play Memphis in this game? And they, they, I feel like they played the Liberty Bowl and they they up they, they quote unquote upset somebody. I think they played Notre Dame in the Liberty Bowl a handful of years ago. Oh, maybe that maybe that's what it was. But I feel like they uh, did play Memphis in a bowl game too. It doesn't matter. Whatever. See, I'm like I'm not with you. I don't. I have already like I, with the end of the Big Twelve year and even this year too. I was kind of um. I was really excited this year for just kind of like the new, the one-year novelty Big 12 with the new teams and everything. And and as the season went, it, it didn't really end up being that big of a deal. Like it didn't, it didn't seem like that, like it was that cool of a novelty. And um, I'll be honest with you, I'm totally over any sort of conference pride. I don't care. I do not care at all. Um, I'm just like, I'm at that point now where it's like, yeah, like I, I'd like to have some of my priors confirmed while watching these bowl games, but that's about it. I, I don't well, Oklahoma yeah, State pride, can baby. Oklahoma State can get bent for all for all I care. I, I they're not going to, but I hope they lose by fifty. Is Will Howard officially at USC? Did he actually did he make that that move? Did I, did I miss that? I don't know if that's official, but I I do know that Avery Johnson is for sure starting the bowl game for Kansas State. Yeah, I don't think that's official. Yeah, I just did. It. By the way, and with Malachi Nelson expected to go into the portal, uh, yeah. I mean, I suppose we. I mean, Iowa State laying ten against Memphis. I. I guess uh, there's not a whole lot to say. I, it's just so difficult with the opt outs. I mean, the fact that West Virginia's laying almost a touch, a full touchdown against North Carolina. It's because North Carolina's quarterback's not playing. So uh, it makes yeah, it really UNC, tough. I mean, there was. Yeah. There was like, I mean, if you paid attention enough and you were enough of a news junkie earlier this week, like. There's a game last night, the bowl game last night, South Florida and Syracuse, whereas if you paid attention at all, you would have seen that Syracuse literally like showed up without a football team, basically. And South Florida didn't. South Florida beat them by 50. So like it was like that. There's there's your perfect example right there. It was like almost like a almost like OU Texas last year, basically, where it's like <laughs> you <laughs> where it's like, yeah, Texas, like it, it was bet up and Texas was only favored by like seven and a half or something like that, where it's like, yeah, but would that number be bigger if if it was like framed in the way that like OU literally doesn't have their entire team. Yeah. It, I'm in a bull contest. I know a lot of people are probably as well. And the one game that uh, has, well, two ga- two games have really made me mad so far. And you got to not in the ODU in- clan. Were you not on ODU? You should have been. No, I, I didn't play that one. There's, of all the non-big bowl games, you got to basically pick everything. But I can skip like five of these kind of like smaller bowls. And I, I didn't do ODU. I actually I didn't I didn't play the South Florida game. By the way, I'm on a I'm on Georgia Tech plus four and a half, even though it closed at six. So I I got the worst of the number. But what I was gonna say is you got to put a little extra emphasis on some picks. And I just you know how I feel about Jerry Kill. I don't like Jerry Kill. Somehow New Mexico State's good. Somehow they're winning game. I don't get it. I think he, that guy sucks. I, I he's not like I know he's a great guy. Like, no, nah, I don't care. He sucked. Like, he sucked at Minnesota. Eh, he he was okay there. I just 
everything was in New Mexico State's favor in their bowl game against Fresno State, who didn't even have their coach for the game. Jeff Tedford didn't even coach. And they were laying like four, and they're playing in Albuquerque, like at their, you know, their biggest rival stadium. They already won a game there. They had all their players. They got, it's a, they're trying to win, I think, uh, I, I can't remember what their bowl record was. It, everything was in New Mexico State's favor. And they just got shellacked, just shellacked. And so I, that's what I get for thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to buy into this narrative about Jerry Kills, New Mexico State. You know, they suck. That team sucks. So I don't know how they beat Auburn. So that's the one that I'm pissed about. And then the other just, one was... They didn't just beat Auburn, man. They, they freaking destroyed Auburn a week before Auburn took Alabama right to the end. Which is the biggest knock against Alabama? I, I love that. That's that they. Should, oh my gosh! That's why it's like I, I, it I keep hearing. Games, I mean, I it's 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 like Mich- Michigan is going to toy with Alabama, and I'm going to be on Twitter, and everyone's going to be like, "I can't believe this is happening." And I'm just like, "Did you watch college football this year?" I'm. I mean, that might happen. The problem is Michigan's not that good on offense, and their defense has not really been tested by anybody granted they've like ohio state's offense should have done so much more in that game but their quarterback's not good <laughs> so that's it and i don't like Jalen milrow i think he kind of sucks but for whatever reason a lot of stuff he does works i don't i don't get it but i guess i mean michigan's defense is good so they'll probably be able to figure that out it's gonna it could be a big 10 game final score of that game could be 14 to 10 or something uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just I, I think I, I don't um, like these playoff matchups. They're, I hate them. They're not. I don't, they're not fun. For oh, me. I think they're. I think they're great. I think it's. It's the most like I, I think these are these are the two matchups where it's like this is the most like anything could happen playoff we've had for sure. Where it's like I actually where it's kind of like an NFL game where I just I have no idea who's going to win. No, I, I agree in that sense. Sure, it's. I mean, the numbers are very low for both games. I mean, normally like at least like one of the games is at least a full touchdown, if not close to double digits. I mean, both these games, I mean, Texas is, and the thing that, that's very interesting is the number hasn't really changed. I think, I think Bama, uh, Michigan's been favored by two and a half, like the entire time. And Texas has been favored by four the entire, there hasn't been any, any uh, swings, which is kind of interesting. But by the, just real quick, the other game that is made me so mad, the Frisco Bowl, a few days ago between Marshall and UTSA UTSA's quarterback last second didn't play and the number had ballooned all the way up to like 13 and a half UTSA by 13 or 12 and a half something like that and in the contest that I play that was the number but then UTSA's quarterback didn't play so it went down to seven but I got Marshall at 13 and a half so I was getting almost seven full points and the big thing is the game opened at seven. So the game opened when they thought the quarterback was going to be playing. It opened at seven. And so my thought was, what changed to where like everybody bet up UTSA to get to almost two full touchdowns? And then they found out, oh, God, this guy's not playing. It goes back to where it opened. So my thought is like, well, if it opened at seven and I'm getting seven free points, I, I got I to take Marshall here. And, I put, it, and Marshall goes up 14 to nothing to start the game and they didn't cover they didn't cover the spread and so i just sorry that that's my game well, i mean it was it was weird because marshall was also on their backup quarterback true 
True. So like it was, which was that that was actually one of the fun little uh, subplots of the game where the backup quarterbacks of of like a former journeyman NFL quarterbacks, Josh McCown and Chad Pennington. I loved that. And um, so I was on UTSA in that game, and so I actually had quite a bit of fun watching it um, because Great. Josh McCown's lefty son, you know, the first two drives of the game, first three drives of the game, he is just an utter disaster. And I'm thinking to myself, did this guy even, pra- has he even practiced with the team? Like, is it even, he looked that bad. And then I don't know what happened, but just like, I guess just a light turned on in his head. And then from there, he looked good. Like, as in, I was like, oh, he's, like, actually something. Like, as if if he's coming back for UTSA next year, like, they got something. This guy's good. Yeah, it pained me to go against Josh McCown's son because I, I love Josh McCown. Josh McCown, he came in, played for the Bears for a little bit, was really good. He should have kept playing for the Bears, but decided to bench him and put Jay Cutler back in, which is dumb. Josh McCown had a nice little, nice little resurgence as a NFL quarterback. But... When I was getting so many extra free points with Marshall, I, you, you have to take that. And they went up 14 to nothing. And they were, <laughs> they were up 14 to nothing and are outscored 35 to 3 the rest of the game from the second quarter on. That is... So... UTSA was a lot better than Marshall. So, I mean, like, it was pretty clear when the game kind of settled down. How about the... Um, so you, you didn't do anything on the ODU game where they got up 28 to nothing and they ended up losing, but they still covered. It was beautiful. Oh, because the, the game, the numbers shifted so much in that game. It was three and a half. I, I had it at, I had ODU at plus three and a half. Got up, they got up 28 to nothing and I just straight up turned the game off. I was like, sweet, there's a dub, cash it. <laughs> and um, yeah, it didn't, uh, didn't necessarily work out that way, but pretty sweet just a game-winning field goal they lose by three still cover the number is that a backdoor cover i don't know i don't know if that what that counts as but it was a it was a bad beat either way if you were on the other side for sure so you're on odu yeah it was beautiful i don't know what happened to my computer real quick hold on hopefully this is still recording it is nice so western kentucky opened so you okay so you got odu at at plus three and a half? Yeah. Oh, well, that's... It, Western Kentucky opened as a five and a half point favorite, so you got a decent ODU number, but ODU was on closes the, as, a, as a big It's on the ESPN app where it doesn't go up and down. Okay, because o- Old Dominion, actually, the closing line, they did not cover. <laughs> they, they, uh, they were, like, favored by four and a half when the game closed, so... That was a, like a 10-point line shift. Boom, baby. Got it. Cash it. All right. I'm not sure how many people even care about the last 20 minutes of this podcast because it's uh, deep college football betting. and College football games. sickos. So Hopefully do. I just I threw together some bull picks. I, you know, I kept out the playoff games. I figured, like, let's, let's do five of kind of the bigger ones that, you know, and then maybe we can do in our next show, if we want to do more, we can, but... Uh, so this are, these are games anywhere from December 27th up till New Year's Day. And just for the sheer novelty of it, I threw the Holiday Bowl in here between USC and Louisville. Louisville is laying seven and a half. You got Louisville, who Louisville just 
Louisville. Louisville, Louisville. What what did I say? Louisville? Louis Louisville? Louisville. You got Louisville. I I don't know how you don't lay the seven and a half here because Louisville just played a Florida State defense, you know, three, four weeks ago that dominated them, and now they're going to play this terrible USC defense that now USC is actually Lincoln Riley seemingly is trying to do something with defense with some of his recent hires obviously I'm not really sure about the UCLA defensive coordinator he brought over I don't know like we'll see but the fact that he was able to hire North Dakota State's head coach to be a linebacker coach and like assistant head coach is rather interesting obviously North Dakota State's always elite in FCS always hard-nosed defensive-minded now you got a guy that's I mean clearly Lincoln maybe the lights come on and say, okay now I gotta do something different obviously that's in the middle of the country they're playing Big Ten so they're gonna try to recruit the Big Ten and footprint now I don't know maybe that's part of it too uh ain't gonna help USC though in this game I, <laughs> I don't think so uh I don't know I mean I, I think I'll gladly take Louisville minus a seven and a half but I just kind of put I put this on there just so we could talk about USC yeah I mean I this is I I I don't think you can defend picking USC in this game. Um, no idea what what they're going to look like. You got I'm trying to think. Obviously, Caleb Williams not playing. Miller Moss is going to start for him. I know Brendan Rice is not playing. Taj Washington is, I think. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd's not playing. Their offensive line wasn't good anyway this year. Obviously, the guys like I'm sure you know what is the other uh, Zachariah Branch we'll probably see a lot more of him, but. That's not even accounting for USC's defense, which is, I mean, a total sieve. And Louisville is kind of their last two games where, I mean, let's let's be real. Louisville choked their last two games this season, um, losing at home to Kentucky and then and then losing to, you know, to Florida State's third string quarterback in a low scoring game. They choked, choked on applesauce. And um, <laughs> USC's defense, perfect, perfect antidote to a struggling offense. Perfect. I agree. I know we talked a little bit about OSU A and M. I threw that in there. Actually, we should have saved that for the picks, just because it's such a such a short line. A uh, and M laying two points in the Texas Bowl that is on December twenty seventh. Uh, you know, I, you know me, man. I don't know, man. I, I, it's. I wish it was three. It used to be three. It's gone down, I, or maybe it was two and a half. I don't know. I, I can't. Was it three at one point? Like I know the, the lines moved a little bit. Yeah, it's it's moved. It was it was higher than it is right now. So yeah, like you're getting the worst of the number, but I'm gonna be a Big Twelve homer and, and grab the Cowboys. Uh, I'll t- also take Oklahoma State, but I mean this is a full on. Like Texas A and M is gonna have like 45 guys there, if that, and OSU has everybody. Like I mean, it's at a certain point you just you got to have enough bodies. And if, hey, yeah, and if, if Oklahoma State loses that game, then uh, LMAO. I, I mean, I, I just... But, I mean, they're, it's not a good football team, so it's very much up in the air. They go to the Cotton Bowl, and Ohio State's taking on Missouri, and you got Kyle McCord, who's in the portal, and he's going to, Syrac- he's going to Syracuse. And, again, it's, to me, that's, all that shows is that, holy... He was, what, a five-star quarterback? He's not very good. Kyle McCord ain't very good. Uh, I, I, I was trying to see it at times, but nah, he ain't it. And he's fine. Him he's, going to he's Spencer Rattler. 
okay, sure. Like him going to Syracuse confirms it, though, because I, you kidding me? Syracuse? Uh, Oklahoma just had a their quarterback who was I think I think DG was a four star guy at a high school, and I get that DG's played a lot more college than Kyle McCord. He wasn't a five star recruit though. DG goes to Oregon. Oregon's like, yeah, yeah, we'll take we'll take OU's guy. Ohio State, big big bad Ohio State, like Big Ten, so awesome. Their quarterback, hey, yeah, going to Syracuse. All right, all right, guys. Like the quarterback play in that conference is not good. It's not good. The Big Ten does not have any good quarterbacks, man. And it also looks like they're gonna go. I mean, it looks like they're just gonna roll with Devin Brown next year. What it looks like. So, who is their current backup? So I'm kind of unless there's some other stuff that shakes out. I guess after the playoff or after the bowl season, but interesting, interesting uh, direction that Ohio State's going in right now. But back to this game, I, I think this is a pretty obvious Missouri. You got to take Missouri here. I said all that ripping on the Big Ten. I actually am going to take Ohio State. <laughs> uh, mainly, it's it's me betting uh, on a, a an uptick. I don't know. I it's. It's me going against Comicord. I just think Comicord's not very good. So yeah, I mean, you I got... I think they're going to upgrade without him. You got an Ohio State team that hasn't played in six weeks. Um, a lot of guys opted out. I, I don't... I Missouri, I don't... Everybody... I think everybody's playing for Missouri. Biggest, like, biggest game in program history. I, it's, this is Missouri. I, I, I hope oh, Ohio way, State it's... wins. I hope Ohio State wins because I want... Because now it's like there's a little bit of a... A little bit of, you know, something kind of bubbling up here. Missouri kind of needs to be put in their place a little bit, I think. But, um, I mean, this is... Missouri's got... Is probably going to have better players than Ohio State on that night. So, I... Yeah, probably. By the way, uh, this is a pick. I don't know if I said that. The game's... For a while, like, I, you can probably get Missouri... Or Ohio, you know, Missouri minus one, some books. But it's essentially a pick. We go off the ESPN... I mean, ESPN's odds are what... They are what they are. But we just do that because it's easy and... On ESPN right now, it's well. Technically, it's uh, Ohio State minus a half, or which that, that's a pick. So, yeah, uh, go look at. Have, have you looked at Missouri's schedule next year? I have not. No, it's it's it is it is as easy of a schedule as you can have in the SEC, and like this new era. I thought you said that Texas has the easy schedule. Well, I mean, sixteen teams, man. There's going to be a lot of easy schedules, a lot of hard schedules. Well, it's interesting now that Oklahoma gets to be in the conference where they play one fewer conference game, right? That is After nice. That. Like they're, so they're not it's it's not it's not going to bear fruit this season, but like there's a really really real chance in 2025 which could be a, a year where OU's got a lot of really talented guys who are young right now who are coming of age at the exact same time. Um they're only going to play 3 true road games in 2025. So I am very interested in that and if OU kind of feels like they'll have a team that year, they need to start thinking ahead right now. How can they juice that schedule as much as they can to make like to make it so that it's so that you're as healthy as you possibly can be, so to make sure that you're at home as much as you possibly can be. Hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at Missouri's schedule, it, and you know, very likely four zero to start. They got Murray State, Buffalo, Boston College, and Vanderbilt to start the season. Got a buy, then they got A and M. Oh wow, they they play their uh, FCS. They play their FCS bye week. Wait, no, hold on, timeout. They play they play U. Oh, is UMass FCS or do they uh, they do they jump up? 
Yeah, they play a weird UMass game. No, they're FCS. Or no, they're FBS. Okay, I think we had this conversation on the podcast earlier this year. <laughs> I don't know when they. So yeah, they got U. They got A and M, then UMass, then yeah, Auburn, Bama, a bye, and then OU. Yeah, that wow, this is a pretty easy schedule. It's a their their schedule is Alabama and OU. That's their schedule. Jeez. All right, let's go to another, uh, you know, another uh, SEC. God, another SEC Big Ten matchup. It, this the stupid narrative about how the SEC and the Big Ten are the top two conferences is so dumb. No, they're not. Not this season. All right, Penn State, Ole Miss. Penn State's laying four. You know where I'm going to go with this. Even though these are two teams that we think Oklahoma should have been above anyways. Missouri's the other one. I just, I, out of spite, I, I very much dislike Penn State. I think that the, their entire schedule is just beating up on bad teams. So congrats. Like, except for like Indiana, they beat up on everybody, but then they lost to the good teams they played. Uh, problem is the, the Big Ten outside of a couple good teams is not very good. Uh, granted, okay, I'll give them Maryland. They played pretty well against Maryland. Maryland's Penn not State's very schedule good. schedule is, but I'm going to give it to them because that, I'm trying to be consistent. Uh, Penn State's laying four. I think their offense stinks. Uh, Ole Miss's defense isn't very good, so watch Penn State's offense put up like 40, which is annoying. I mean, uh, it is annoying. Miss, Penn, Penn, State had, Penn State has scored a lot of points against against every team they've played this year, except for Michigan and Ohio State, basically. I think they struggled against Indiana as well, offensively. Yeah, they did. They I don't know how they score points. It's so inefficient. They they average like five point four yards per play. It doesn't make yeah, any sense. They are that's a, they're efficient but not explosive. So constantly having because to stay I ahead have of the eyes, chains. Though, and I've watched I've watched so much Penn State. They're not their offense is bad. I, like for a team that's supposed to be like this top ten type team, they have a bad offense. I I don't it doesn't make it. I mean, well, I know why they are able to score a lot of points. It's because. The teams they play against are so bad offensively, and the defense just strangles them, and they get the ball a bunch, and they get plenty of opportunities to try to score points when the other team does not. Actually, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State's time possession is super high. Let me see. What do you know at Penn State? Number 10 in the nation holding the football. They hold the ball for 33 minutes a game. 10th bet because that that's why like that's why they're able to score because the, the defense gets in the ball back so much because the offense they play against suck <laughs> so they have the ball a lot right. i think who, who, who do you got i think penn state has played a schedule of offensive teams that is not particularly challenging but i think penn state is good i think they'll handle Ole Miss pretty easily actually like i think i think i think Ole Miss is likely will likely struggle to score against Penn State. Uh, I do not think that's the, that'll be the case. I think Ole Miss, unless this is uh, like that Ole Miss team. Uh, Ole, Jeff I, Levy offense, I, I don't think Ole Miss is very good. Ole Miss is, of those four teams that were in contention for that last BCS, uh, for three of the last four BCS, or of the last three BCS, I, I think Ole Miss is, is definitely the worst of the four teams. Um, so yeah, that's where uh, I, I think of the, I think, well, of the four teams, uh, I think. I mean, we both we both think OU's the best. I I think of the three teams, Ole Miss, Missouri, and Penn State. I think Ole Miss is the best of the three. So, I think they're the most dynamic on offense, and I think they've been 
challenge enough defensively where a Penn State offense is going to be like, are you kidding me? This is these guys. We got to play defense against this. Cool. This will be fun. This generic offense against this five-star quarterback who don't look like a five-star quarterback. <laughs> Man. Um, you know, I I don't know. I think I think OU has a higher ceiling than Penn State does. Um, I, I think Penn State probably proved week in and week out that they were a more consistent, better team this year than OU, as much as that pains me to say it. Um, I, I, just, I just feel that's the case. I feel like it's much easier to do that when you're playing that schedule and then when you play two good teams. Yeah, lose, yeah, I just think... Not, not particularly competitive either against either yeah. Michigan or Ohio State, who I, who I also think are kind of down. So that's how I, the, the I, thing I, I just I think it's a bad say. This is the, this is the this year is maybe Michigan's best team of all they've ever had. This is the best team in program history Michigan's ever had. Um, well, that's I, that's that's not saying a lot about that team then. Yeah, maybe. I they're, but I they're just, great on defense against a bad offensive schedule. I just and know they're middle of the road on offense. Man, I, I just know that Penn State would choke the life out of Oklahoma State. Probably beat them thirty-one to nothing. And I think, um, I you know I don't know. I'd probably do the same thing to Kansas and I don't, I don't, I don't think Penn no, State they can, wouldn't. I don't think no, Penn State's wouldn't. really capable of beating Texas like OU is, but back to back to back, you get these teams over and over and over again. No, they wouldn't. Their, their defense would get strained. They, uh, there's a lot uh, more creativity in the big 12. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I don't, I don't really know. I, uh, I, I do. It's dude. It, it's a lot more creativity. The lot, lot better coaches in the big 12 than the big 10. So yeah, no, like, I think so. Like it's it's that's why I think the Big Twelve is I mean definitely better than that conference. It's because there's a lot more teams that can beat you. Yeah, that can give uh, you problems. I don't know. I yeah. I mean, like uh, I, well, I agree with you to an extent, but I Penn State wasn't losing to Kansas or Oklahoma State this year, and that's. I mean, depending on where they if if they played a Big Twelve schedule, they got them a certain time. They certainly could have. Yeah, I guess, like yeah, I, I I think a very fair way of of looking at both of those teams is to say. OU flashed an ability to beat a team like Texas this year. I don't think that Penn State did flash that ability. But OU also flashed flashed an inability to beat teams like Oklahoma State and Kansas, and I don't think that Penn State ever would have flashed anything like that. So it's... It, yeah, I, mean, I just, you know, take it how you want it, I guess. It's... Like, I, 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 find, I find Penn State to be boring. I'm, kind, I'm tired of them pretty much already. I... I, I but pretty good team this year. Their defense is really good. And they've, they have. Like, they've scored a lot of points against everyone, not Ohio State and Michigan. And it looks like they're playing Ole Miss in this game. So they'll probably score a lot of points. Let's see. I think they will not score a lot of points. Uh, I'm pretty, pretty confident in this one with Ole Miss. Uh, and also, no, like, it's easy to be great on defense when you play Rutgers and Indiana and UMass and Northwestern and Michigan State and Illinois like this is this is ridiculous it, it, these are awful awful teams off Iowa by the way sorry <laughs> you also can't like you can't these teams cannot they can't score so they can't beat you Kansas can score Oklahoma State was not very good Kansas is a good team this year Kansas can strain you that would have been a fun game to watch I'd love to see Kansas play Penn State this year. Especially Kansas would struggle to move the ball on Penn State. I, I, we, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. 
It'd been the most fun. It'd be the. It might be the most the best offense they'd seen all year. Um. No, I mean Michigan's most creative. The best. Is Michigan's the best? But yeah, I mean Kansas I mean, offense is, play basis. is probably better than Ohio State's. Probably. Or I mean, it was it's more interesting. It's not a higher ceiling. I. I mean, it's. This is pretty it, interesting it's, considering it's that whatever. Penn State hired Kansas's OC. <laughs> oh, they did. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, let's move on to this. This is this is this is what everyone wants to watch right here. This is honestly like my oh, this is my most anticipated uh, non New Year's Six or playoff bowl. Michigan six point one yards per play. Kansas averaged seven yards per play. No, no, Kansas would have been the best offense they would have seen all season long. Lee, I'm I'm certain that Michigan is better on offense than Kansas, and you you are clowning yourself if you think otherwise. No, I'm not, Grant. They're one-dimensional. They run the football a bunch. That's what they do. Congrats. They bully people. Congrat- like, but other teams can do more things than that. Like Michigan's offense is not that great at all, and neither is Ohio State's offense. And okay, certainly yes, I, don't, Penn State, Penn State. I don't think Michigan's offense is great. Kansas's offense certainly is not great either. Uh, it's <laughs> Kansas's offense is really good. One of the best offenses in college football it's, this year. It is not better than Michigan's. I like you. You really need to rethink your take. It's a really bad take. It's not a bad take, Grant. Your average seven Lee, yards per play Lee, in Division One football. Lee, I know this was six years ago, but we were on this podcast and you told me over and over again that like that Georgia's offense wasn't very good when they were going into it, and I said it over and over again that it was. This was maybe going to be the best offense they faced all year. That you were wrong about. This, it was not the that best you have offense. A weird they faced bias all year, about this. No, it's not. Just be, what makes them good is because they can they have good bully players? people and run the ball. Huh. No. Because their guys are good enough to physically dominate people up front to the point where you can't get into the backfield and tackle them? I mean... No. Can't, Kansas, like you, when you, when you I average get it. seven like you, yards per play, that's really good. I get that you find that style of football to be very boring. You find that style of football to be very boring. Why is Michigan averaging six boring. yards per play against a bad Big Ten? Why can't they... Why can't they Move the ball. You know, and you know what it is? Maybe it is, but the fact that the Big Ten's so bad, Jim Harbaugh's like, yeah, all right, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just do this way. And that's why I'm not a big, that's my biggest knock on Jim Harbaugh. I don't know if his offenses are ever any good because it doesn't have to be in the Big Ten. Like, they, they ran the ball like 25 straight times against Penn State or whatever it was. What a joke. I don't know, man. Like, they, they had the same sort of like, quote-unquote problems on offense a season ago and I know they lost to TCU but what their offense was the problem in that game they went up and down on TCU's defense like a freaking big 12 team does in that game well yeah TCU's defense wasn't very good a lot of people did that against TCU also it was a playoff and, and you know more power to them they were actually put in tough spots and they actually had to do stuff and they did they did score points uh, maybe they can I don't they never show it because none of these Big Ten teams can really challenge them. Ohio State could never. I would have been yeah, great to no, see if Ohio like I, State would have actually got a. You're right. They are. They are definitely lessening their ceiling once they get to the playoff. Like I, Jim Harbaugh, if he was smart this year, would have been like when they actually were up comfortably in games, they should have been throwing the rock around. Is what they should have been and messing around with it. But like they, that's that is a blind spot that they have. But it's not because like they're not capable of doing it. They they make it. No, my issue. It, it also it comes back. I guess more it's it's about creativity i think it's so much more difficult to defend these offenses in the big 12 because it's so much more creative than what you see in the big 10 you don't have to think a whole like the the big 10 it's they're still lining up going under center a lot i know they don't do that as much anymore 
but there's not a whole lot of creativity. I mean, that's why I'm kind of interested to see what Penn State does next year with this this new offense and the Kansas guy. I, I are they going to well, run I mean, the same gonna, offense that Kansas did? That's why. Like, yeah, they're just they're gonna they're gonna have a bunch of interesting ways to run the ball. That's what they do. Like, it's not. I don't find that that interesting. I don't really like watching that stuff. Like, it's. But I mean, that's just that's Kansas. I mean, there's. I mean, so no, like I actually, I, I don't think, like I don't think on. that was a very good hire by Penn State. Because like you, I, you know, I mean, it's, I think that that stuff can work at a place like Kansas, but no, like when you're Penn State and you're trying to beat the Ohio States and Michigans of the world, and when you get up to the higher, like when you get to the playoffs, and you're trying to beat the SEC teams, you got to complete forward passes, and like so, this is where we're on the same page, and like Kodal Nick, you're not, you're not getting anywhere running at sixty five percent of the time, just not. Not going to happen. You're not going to win anything doing that. So uh, that's that's where they should that's where they should pause. The thing is, though, I mean, Kansas, their offense is based around the run, but then they hit explosive plays, and Penn State like through the passing game, and Penn State's allergic to that. They're incapable of that, and so I think that's why it's kind of an interesting hire because that's what they want to do at Penn. And the Big Ten's going to work. Because the Big Ten, they don't see anything really creative. And if they're, they're drawing up explosive pass play opportunities, I mean, Kansas is one of the best teams this year through the air. I mean, like, uh, I, I can already, I, I'm already questioning it because Drew Allert is not mobile. So that already takes away, like, something yeah. in Kodal Nicky's, like, that's, that's already, like, it's already not really going to work. That's one less guy yeah, you have to account for. So, like, it's. That's true. I, that's a good point. Like they, they do. He does really interesting things in the run game. They have a bunch of different schemes and all of that stuff. But I don't care about that. When you go up against a, a team like Penn State, if you're like, they're gonna have a bunch of NFL dudes who you're not gonna be able to block. So it's not gonna matter. Man, Penn State fans, when they're watching Drew Aller not being able to move around and uh, making that offense not as dynamic, they're gonna be thinking, man, why do we ever get rid of Micah Bowens? <laughs> Yikes. All right, last game, Iowa-Tennessee. Tennessee laying eight and a half in the Citrus Bowl. This is on New Year's Day. And as much as I hate the Big Ten, I'm actually going to grab Iowa plus the points here. Uh, I mean, it, I think Tennessee's kind of in a weird spot. Like, you look at next year. Like, Heupel, I mean, we all like Josh Heupel. Who's going to play quarterback for them next year? They have Nico Imamilovella. I'm sorry, okay. I can't pronounce the guy's name. It's a uh, very difficult Auburn's, name to pronounce. Auburn kind of stinks right now. I mean, that, that's kind of like... It's going to be a road game, obviously, for you. That's, that's tough, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, no, I do I'm find it kind of like... And- I, it, it's absolutely wild to me that the three quote-unquote easiest SEC games next year for OU are Tennessee, at Auburn, and South Carolina. Those are their three like easiest conference games. Yeah. That's pretty tough. But also, like, there's... Tennessee and Auburn and South Carolina, all three of those teams have absolutely have the capability of being just total ass. Excuse my language. Because they have been <laughs> all in the past, recently. South Carolina last year. South Carolina was bad this past year. Just not a good, just bad team. Bad team. Um, Auburn well, was we'll see what- Auburn was hit or miss. So you're right. Like Auburn almost beat both Georgia and Alabama at home. So like and Auburn kind of has that magic. And Hugh Freeze is a really good coach. So, ah, so crap. Of course, he's got to play them. Actually, yeah. Now, the more that I think about it, it's that like that hair, Ugh. that that Tennessee game, that that Auburn game is like Auburn. Even just like take away like home and away stuff. Auburn's probably on paper better than Tennessee next year, anyway. 
Like Tennessee might be kind of like this was a year where like Tennessee really kind of needed to to build off their momentum from last season and kind of but they took a step back this year. And so it makes it makes you think that most of Tennessee's success last year probably had more to do with Hendon Hooker than anything else. Maybe. And and their really good receiver that was a second round pick. All right, Tennessee minus eight and a half against Iowa. Who you got? I'm on Iowa. I'm on Iowa, but that's like I mean that game. If you're betting that game, you you're betting the under. Obviously, you have to bet the under. <laughs> I, actually, I, what's the number on that one? I will be betting. Like I'm I'm driving home. I'll be driving through Kansas and Iowa on on Tuesday the day, of, and I will be putting money on the under of that game, regardless what of what. What would you guess is. the number is? No. Um, what do you want to see it at? My guess it's probably like in somewhere in the mid thirties, I would guess. D- are you looking at it? What is it? Yeah. Thirty seven. That's an easy under. I'm sorry, that's an easy under. Freaking Joe Milton against the best defense in college football. <laughs> you kidding me? Tennessee's not scoring a lot of points in this game. I just have not watched Tennessee play much this year. Tennessee's defense is pretty good though, so that means you're like without like special teams plays or turnovers, you're you're on shutout watch for Iowa for sure. Because Tennessee's defense has a pulse, so <laughs> anyone watch. And, well, I mean, yeah, anyone with a pulse can shut out Iowa. That's that's just how it is. Their their offense is on is like I don't know. Say, I mean, Iowa has the worst offense of any team playing in, in a bowl game this year. I think that's probably that has to be the case. That's yeah, adjusted no, for competition. That's everything. I mean, they're they're pitiful. It's Iowa has has one of the four or five worst offenses in the entire country, and that's like you're you're throwing in your lot there with like Eastern Michigan and the directional schools and everything. They're they're just as bad as those MAC teams. Eastern Michigan's in a bowl game. They're good. Yeah, Seventeen point dogs to USA. I wonder who I was going to get to call plays for them next year. See, that would have been Kotal Nicky would have been a Riley. good would have been a good hire for Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Okay, so just a quick recap: we're both on Louisville against Louisville against USC minus seven and a half. We're both on OSU plus the two against A and M, and we are cross firing. You're on Missouri. I'm on Ohio State. That's a pick 'em. You're on Penn State minus four. I'm on Ole Miss plus four. We have a, a huge disagreement on the those two teams, and we're both on Iowa plus eight and a half. I am sixty three percent this season. You're at fifty six percent this season picking games, and uh, yeah, just for fun, whatever. All right, so I think we're, we've decided we're going to record the next podcast uh, Christmas Day. I think so. Look for a release either Christmas evening or by Tuesday at the latest. And that's when we'll have our really our first and final thoughts on this Arizona matchup, I suppose. Anything else going on? Nothing much. Just uh, UCF not, not, uh, not carrying your Big 12 flag very well right now. So They aren't. I, well, I, I texted you ahead of time that Georgia Tech was in – Catching six points, pretty good, pretty good spot for Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's offense is really good this year. 
one of the best offenses. I mean, they're like top 20 offense. So I was like, yeah, both these offenses are pretty good. Getting six points are good offense. This is an interception. Holy cow. Okay. All right, guys. Well, we will be back here in a few days. A little quick turnaround time to talk OU Arizona in the Alamo Bowl. Have a great Christmas, a very Merry Christmas. And until next time, for Grant, I am Leah. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.